Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Uh, we're continuing our journey through the, uh, the book of Luke, and uh, today we're going to be looking at Luke 4, verse 16. Just to put it in context, um, so far we've heard what's been happening in Jesus' life, and he's just been through the temptation. He was the baptism with John the Baptist, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, he's been tempted in the desert, and now he returns to his hometown of Nazareth. So if we could... Uh, Start off, we'll go to Luke 4 and verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, those are a few simple verses, and they're quite familiar to us. We've read them many times, and we've heard them before. But this is actually a landmark event. This is when Jesus went public. This is actually when he actually declared what was going to happen, what it was all about. What, what he'd been working towards. You see, up to now, he was a good Jew. He was about 30 years old. He worked hard. He was respected as the carpenter in the village. He attended the synagogue. He paid his temple taxes. He was trusted. They actually let him read in the synagogue. So he was okay. He was allowed to read and talk about the scriptures. And everyone respected him for that. But this day was different. This day, he chose what he was going to read and what he was going to say. And why? Because he was actually saying, today it starts. I'm putting the stake in the ground. From now on, this is where it works. The clock is ticking. In actual fact, by going public, it was the first part of signing his own death warrant. He knew where it was going to end up. He was declaring himself as the Messiah. Now to them, in their culture, the Messiah they were expecting was someone who was like a freedom fighter. It was someone who was going to free them from being persecuted and oppressed and ruled over by Romans. It was going to put the state of Israel back to where it had been before. It would restore them as a nation. But that's not the truth. That's not the sort of Messiah that Jesus was. You see, that message wasn't just for the Jewish people. That message was for all believers. That message was for everyone. That message was about restoring God's people globally through time, not just some small state in Palestine, but throughout the whole world and throughout history. And we have the benefit of knowing what comes next in the story. We're familiar with where it goes and what happens. But think about it for a moment. What did Jesus actually do for us? 
Now, if we get a group of Christians together, we can write down the answers very quickly. We'll say, he died in our place. We'll say, he took our punishment. We'll say, he paid the price for us. We would say, he redeemed us. He paid the ransom for us. He restored us to God, our Father. And all that is absolutely true. But that's transactional. That's a process. That's something that he went through, something he did. It's almost like a financial transaction that has taken place. What he did for us when he set us free was he forgave us. The gospel is about forgiveness. The essence of the gospel is that we are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven. It's the forgiveness that releases us that sets us free to be who we should be, the children of God. In looking into this, I've been struck by how many writers have focused on this subject. R.T. Kendall, C.S. Lewis, both wrote very similar works about forgiveness. And I'm going to paraphrase both of them into one phrase, but it's simply this. Forgiveness is the key to grace. Unless we can understand forgiveness, we will never really appreciate grace. We will never totally get what's been done for us. This is what was done for us. This was what was happening. We were freed. Have we got hold of that? Do we really grip it? Do we really understand it? It must have been so important because Jesus spoke about it so much. He spoke about many things, but if you read through what's quoted by him, you tend to find his number one subject was money. That surprises many people, but he spoke about that more than anything else. And that's a subject for another day. But his second subject predominantly was forgiveness. And if we look at uh, various quotes, let's look at Matthew. Matthew 6 and verse 9. Again, we'll all know this one. It's the Lord's Prayer. He's teaching his disciples and he says, And this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we will also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So forgiveness must have been important because he mentioned it twice. Not as he mentioned it twice, he said there's a consequence of not doing it. It has an impact on us. And again, he talks about it again when it, uh, further on in Matthew, in Matthew 18. Where's the parable of the unmerciful servant? Now this is a story that many of the children know. But in Matthew 18, verse 21. Uh, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times... Shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him 
he cancelled the debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. That's quite a powerful story, actually. It's got quite a kick in the tail. But if you look at it, what Peter was saying, because in Jewish culture, they used to say you had to give people three, three attempts at forgiveness. Basically, it was the start of the three strikes and you're out rule that we're sort of familiar with today. There were three occasions where you forgave someone for something. And what Peter was trying to say was, well, shouldn't we be really generous? Shouldn't we forgive seven times? And seven was a sort of magic number to those people. They quite like that. And then Jesus countered that by saying, no, 77 times, which is an, an, like an infinite number to them. And then he told them this parable, a parable about forgiveness. He was trying to emphasize how important it was. And if we think about that, what about Jesus' example of how he lived? He forgave sins. We're always aware of Jesus' healing and his miracles. And yet, if you look at the number of times, what he actually said to someone was, your sins are forgiven. He could have said, your legs are healed, your sight's restored, your hearing's fine, your skin is clean. He could have said all of that, but he didn't. He quite often said, your sin is forgiven. Go and sin no more. An actual fact, that's what got him into trouble with the religious authorities. It wasn't the healing. They could find a way of fudging that. Healing, yeah, okay, we can get around with that. Their argument was, who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And without using the words, Jesus was saying, I'm God. Your sins are forgiven. And it worked. Even on the cross where it led him, he was forgiving people. His last words. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Even then, at the point of death, in pain and agony, forgiving people. Even turning to the, the criminal being crucified next to him, who realized who he was, and forgiving him instantly. That was Jesus' example to us. And it's a tough example to follow. Because forgiveness is something that we're not very good at. I agree it's difficult. And we find it hard. And it falls into two categories, really. There's the smaller category, which is we say, oh, I can't forgive myself. We feel that whatever we've done, whatever's, whatever's occurred, it's too great. We can't get over it. And we get hung up on it. My sin is too great. God can't forgive me for this. If you do that, I want you to stop and think for a moment. Because if you say that, what you're actually saying is, sorry, Jesus, not good enough. The arrogance of that statement is appalling. You're actually saying your death was not good enough 
for my sin. Maybe good enough for everybody else's, not good enough for mine. Now, I don't think any of us, when we say those words, are thinking that. That's not what we're thinking, although that's actually what we're saying. What we're doing is listening to the lies of the devil. We're falling into that trap of listening to those words in our ear that the devil says about, you're not good enough, God won't forgive you, everyone else, yes, not you. Don't fall into that. It's a lie. It's a lie. We are forgiven. Everything is forgiven. However heinous, however horrible, however disgusting, whatever, it is forgiven. We have grace. But also, we have to forgive others because the instruction was not just forgive yourself. The instruction is forgive others. That's the mark of us as Christians, as children of God. It's our forgiveness. Jesus told us to do it. He taught us to do it. He showed us how to do it. But it's so important that we do because there are consequences if we don't. Now, I don't know what the consequences are with God if we don't, but I certainly know what the consequences are right now in our lives if we don't. You see, for lack of forgiveness damages us. It robs us of our joy. It eats us up inside. Unforgiveness is corrosive. It eats away. It's corrosive to our spirits. It eats away at our soul. And eventually, it will affect our health, our mental and our physical health. I believe that what happens to us spiritually impacts us mentally. It can impact us physically. And we can see so many people who are damaged by the whole thing, caught up in it. You see, one of the things about unforgiveness is that we think unforgiveness is hard on the other person. It's not really. Unforgiveness is hard on us. We're hard on ourselves. And when we're taught to forgive, forgive for our benefit, not the other person. We often think, oh, I'm forgiving you because I'm releasing you and I'm trying to make things better for you. No, we're not. We're making things better for ourselves. We are healing ourselves by doing that. It must be that way because how many times have the person you need to forgive dead, gone, unable to be contacted, unable to be told they're forgiven? Yet we can still forgive them because we can release that within ourselves. It is something Jesus implored us to do and showed us how to do it. I am struck by so often when I'm asked to pray with people and it might be, oh, I've got a headache or I've got this problem or I've got this issue that may be usually physical, but sometimes not. And you pray with someone and you just call on God to bless them. And then the word comes, talk to them about this. And the number of times that word to me has been, it's about forgiveness. And you end up saying to them, probably not going to want to hear this, but you launch into it. Now, sometimes the reaction is, yes, you're right, and there's something I need to deal with, and it's dealt with, and they're released, and they're healed, and, they've got, and they're freed. It's wonderful to see that. But quite often it's not. Quite often it's, oh, yeah, well, there was this, but, but I've dealt with it. So you say, okay. So you pray, and you carry on. And then the voice of God comes again, and it just simply says, they've said the words, but they haven't done the action. Because that's the thing about forgiveness. It is not just saying the words. It's the action of forgiveness in our soul, of releasing it, of letting it out. And it is so tough. It is one of the most difficult 
things we ever have to do. It requires effort. And the other thing is, in my experience, it's not a one-off. You have to do it again and again and again. As Jesus said 77 times. And there are people in my life who have hurt me and have hurt people around me, people I love and care about. And I have been so angry and I've had to deal with that anger. But I've also had to find forgiveness in my soul for them, make the effort to realize it because I want to be free. I want to enjoy what Jesus did for me. I want to enjoy that grace. I want to live in the peace of that grace. And so I have to deal with these things. And there are people that I find difficult because of things they have said and done in the past. But I know I have to love them. And I have to, the phrase I would use is sometimes I have to love them through gritted teeth. It might be against my natural instinct and my feelings, but it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing before God. It's what Jesus has done for me. And there have been occasions where God has said to me, how much have I forgiven you? So how can you hold something against them? And that's true. That's where we are. It affects us all in many different ways. If I've said something this morning that has struck a chord with you, I urge you to do something about it, to deal with it. Over the years that I've been preaching, I have noticed one particular pattern. The most contentious subject to raise and the most, one that gauges the most reaction out of people, both positive and negative, is this one. You can talk about all sorts of other subjects which can make people feel uncomfortable, can make them squirm a bit or make them react to you. But this one is a touch paper for so many. And it must be because it's important. Jesus wouldn't have put so much time and effort into it if it wasn't. And I would urge you, call on God, because we need his spirit to enable us to forgive. We should be marked as forgiving people. And I think of the example of some people I've heard of over the years who've committed amazing acts of forgiveness, things that are almost uncomprehensible when you consider what they went through and then what they did and why they did it. They're, they're just amazing, but they, were, they knew God and they wanted to enjoy God's grace and they wanted to be cleansed and they wanted to deal with this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you loved us so much that you sacrificed your most precious son to forgive us, to release us, and to restore us. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing, incredible grace. And I ask you now, Lord, for those people this morning, or whenever, who are listening to this, that you would speak to those who need to hear it. And I ask you, Father, to unlock them, to release them, to free them, Lord God. I just pray, Father, help all of us to deal with this and help all of us to live out this example, to be Christ-like in our forgiving. 
I just ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.